0: Our first reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, An important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. "'Do you understand what you are reading?' Philip asked. "'How can I?' he said, "'unless someone explains it to me.' So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. "'He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, "'and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, "'so he did not open his mouth. "'In his humiliation he was deprived of justice.' Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Uh, This week, uh, James Bastin, whom we've been praying for many years, uh, following a terrible accident that he had is going to Spain and he's going to walk the last hundred miles of the Camino. And uh, that's a a matter for great Thanksgiving that he's able to do it. Anyone who's walked the Camino uh, through northern Spain uh, will find themselves walking for many days uh, through the Rioja area, mile upon mile of vineyards, all beautifully cared for and cultivated And fruitful. They don't provide much in terms of shade, but there's always the hint of the taste to come when the fruit has ripened and been picked, and the wine made and bottled and matured, and the corks drawn. Israel, too, was a great area for the vine, but in their case, it meant much more than mere viticulture a reminder that Israel is the vineyard of the Lord, and it's the Lord who loves his people. He is the life-giver. In Isaiah 5, uh, where we find uh, this doctrine enshrined, uh, there is a, it is a, a, a love song, a celebration of God who is the loved one of the prophet the Lord has dug and cleared the land and planted it with the choicest vines, who watches over it and looks for a good harvest. There's nothing more that could have been done to ensure the possibility of fruit. But despite all his love and care for his people, there is great sadness in the contrast between the potential longed for by the Lord And the realization by Israel is, um, and it's appalling that the vine has failed. And there's no response, and so there is judgment on Israel. The vineyard is is not merely the national uh, symbol, like a flag or a flower, it's a message given by Yahweh to his people, speaking to them of the relationship between their, their their nation and their god intended to be so beautiful yet sadly ending in disaster so in the temple uh, which is an emblem of god's presence in the heart of their city and the heart of their religion uh, it speaks to them of life of possession and prosperity and josephus describes the entrance to the temple uh, As the gate opening onto the building was completely overlaid with gold, as was the whole wall round it. It had, moreover, above it those golden vines from which depended great clusters as tall as a man. So Jesus revisits and adapts this image of the vine I am now the true vine. It's again a message of life and love. The context of the passage in John 15 is that it's part of the final discourse, Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure and what must follow. And so it bears a special meaning for them to ponder on the critical time ahead. Moreover, it is placed soon after the Last Supper What prompted Jesus to choose the vine as the last of his I Am claims? Was it the memory of the Last Supper and the thought of the wine as symbolizing the blood of Jesus so soon to be shed, a sign of life poured out and made available to his people? Or was it the sight of the vine growing around the temple uh, where, where they were so often to be seen? Or was it just the sight of a vine growing nearby? Jesus' claim uh, that I am the true vine is therefore a very clear statement that, as in the Old Testament, the nation had been God's vine transplanted from Egypt into the Promised Land. Now Jesus himself is the new vine, the new Israel, superseding the old image. The new dispensation is at hand and the old images must be adapted to the new situation. Jesus is now the way to God, the giver of life in all its fullness, protected and cultured by God himself. It was a reminder of the love between the Father and the Son flowing out to the branches. But the imagery goes further than that. For Jesus now goes on to say, and you are the branches. Branches already made clean by his words and now with a purpose to fulfill their role in being the fruit. And the key to that fruitfulness is in the simple sentence, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The illustration picks up the earlier statement in chapter 6, which they can hardly have understood at the time. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. In the light of what is about to happen, and particularly of the Last Supper, that difficult saying begins to carry uh, some real meaning to them. So what is this remaining, this abiding, to use the older word? The ingestion of food and drink are the very energy which drive our physical bodies, without which we wither and die. The relationship between Jesus and the Father is that which gave significance to Jesus. The relation of the disciple with his master is uh, is that which gives significance to and empowers the life of the disciple. But the relationship must be real and active. It must be regular and frequently in our consciousness as our eating and drinking is for a healthy physical life. And it doesn't exist for itself, but that we may bear fruit. The fruit is in changed and transformed lives, the fruit of the Spirit, and in the sharing of that new life in the world. The ultimate assurance for the disciples was that symbol would give way to reality, that at the last, the destiny of this life is to be with the Lord forever, to enter fully into his presence and remain in it. And it is for this that Jesus tells us that he is to go away and I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. And in the prayer to the Father in chapter 17, Jesus prays for the disciples that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me. But the story of the vine is always a love story. It is in Isaiah's vision, and it is, too, in what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, I am the true vine. That close relationship, that image of the creator or farmer caring for his creation and looking for it to be fruitful, is the story of love and real love demands discipline and opens itself to failure in response to a cooling and a distancing or a neglect of one of the parties even to betrayal. So if one side of the coin is God's generosity his giving and forgiving, his accepting the other is in the words of John 15 our abiding and pruning, pruning which cuts back on the wildness and the fruitlessness, on separation, on the disorder of human life. And pruning is discipline and can be uncomfortable and even painful. But that can, in the end, lead to judgment. And so it was in in Israel. What more could the Lord have done for his nation? For his people, it will become a wasteland with its walls broken down and planted vine gone to seed and unpruned and overgrown with weeds and thorns. So Judas will be judged for his betrayal, and so will Peter for his denial. Though Peter found restoration as he realized the depth of his denial and the effect of that on his relationship, the damage. Uh, uh, the damage it did, and and he was to find forgiveness and restoration. And the new dispensation does not alter that principle. Judged for this command, Jesus has this command for us, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. That is the nature of divine love, soon to be enfleshed as Jesus laid down his life and hangs on the cross. That is the nature of the divine love which demands our offering of ourselves. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Amen.